There's not a single thing Jesus will ask you to do that he hasn't first done for you. There's not a single thing that he hasn't first given up so that you can do it. And he simply invites us to receive what he's freely giving, to receive what he's poured out in a great abundance. Just let this overflow out of you that others can have it too. See, the way of Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. There are several of you this morning that I know very well and some that I've just recently met and some I... I haven't yet met, so for all of you, I'm really glad you're here. My name is Adam, and I am the pastor here at The Point. And uh, we, these last couple of weeks, have been talking about this question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? You see, Jesus has invited every one of us into a journey and into a process of walking with him and then becoming like him. And as we become more like Jesus, our lives begin to take on a whole new shape. And we begin to do the very types of things that Jesus did. And every one of us, whether you're just now beginning your faith journey or you've been walking with God for 70 years, we all are a work in progress, not yet complete. And so if anybody comes along and says they've figured it out and they have all the answers, don't listen to them because they're probably wrong. Instead, we walk on this journey together with Jesus and we discover each day areas of our lives that are not quite yet what they could be and ways that he's still working in us and through us to change us. And so today as we dive into scripture, we're going to be looking at that last part of walking with Jesus and following him. If we begin by spending time with him and it begins to transform our character and our innermost being, it should then overflow from that into the very things we do. So what does it look like in our lives to do what Jesus did. Now, perhaps you know that old question, what would Jesus do? And let me tell you, I'm not gonna encourage you to do what Jesus did, because he's not you and you're not him, and you will not succeed at doing what he did. But I believe there are certain things he did that should be a part of how we shape our life and what we organize our time with. So to do this, we're gonna today look at Matthew, a, a sermon that Jesus himself preached we're going to begin with the end and work backwards to the beginning. And this sermon is one called the Sermon on the Mount. It was his first public sermon of any large amount. And it was there on a mountain where he preached. And there was a huge crowd gathered. And he shares what life in his kingdom looks like. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, chapter 5 is there on page 1010 in the blue Bibles in front of you. Um, or if you're upstairs, they're along the sides on the walls. Um, so go to 1010, and then maybe you have to flip a page over. I'm not sure, but it'll be real close. Matthew 
chapter 7. So, here's the very end, beginning in verse 24. This is how Jesus finishes his sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. As I've shared with several of you and even in several sermons over the last few months, my wife and I have been renovating a house. And it's this really old house that needs a lot of work. And in this house, I'm discovering more and more just this passage and what it really means. You see, it's a 100-year-old house, and this 100-year-old house somehow has miraculously stood the test of time. But when you attempt to renovate a 100-year-old house, you realize they don't do things today like they used to. And we've discovered all kinds of joist problems and termite problems and areas where it's perfectly level here and then all of a sudden it's not here and we have no idea how to fix the two. And yet, even with this really broken and rocky and shaken foundation, the house still stands much stronger than most new construction today would. Jesus gives this image uh, for his sermon ending. He says, look, if anyone hears my words and does them, they'll be like a man building a house on a rock, a solid foundation that will stand the test of time. When the storms come and the waters rise, that house will stand, even if maybe it shifts and it's not quite level and things need some work and repair. The house will still be there. Oftentimes we read this and we read the first half, whoever hears these words, and we think that following Jesus is just about knowing his word and studying scripture and really being with Jesus through his word. And yet, he says, anyone who hears them and does them. Now, it, it's worth noting that Jesus is not talking about how we get made right with God. See, there's nothing you and I do to be made right with God. That's all a gift he gives. In fact, in Ephesians, it, it says that it's entirely a free gift so that no one can boast. And because of that, we are his workmanship. And we're supposed to do the works he prepared in advance for us to do. See, these good things we do, doing good deeds and being good people, it's not so that we can be right with God. But because our neighbor needs us to. Our neighbor needs you and me to love them. Did you know that? Sometimes we think that we do the things Jesus tells us to do because that's what God wants. Like if I'm kind to my neighbor, if I'm friendly to my coworker, if I honor my mother and father, if I do these things, then God is pleased with how I'm living. That's not the case. See, we don't have to love our neighbor for God's sake. We love our neighbor because our neighbor is worth being loved. And God loves our neighbor, so we do too. Jesus, he gives this image. He says, anybody who builds their house on the rock is the one who hears and does. But if you don't hear and do, so if you just hear or if you do a lot of good things without his word, 
without what he says. If you do one or the other, it's like a house built on sand. Now, typically, we think of a house built on sand, and we think of beaches where it's real soft and and squishy, and you're like, well, that's silly. Obviously, it's going to shift and move. But in the floodplains of Israel, a house built on sand most of the year looked like solid rock if you didn't know what you were doing. It was dry and compacted and hard, and if you weren't aware of where the floodwaters would rise to, that sand seemed solid. It's only when the storm rises that it begins to crumble. Jesus, in both cases, says a storm will rise. In your life and in my life, as we follow Jesus, things will at times get hard. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Are we ready with a firm foundation? It says whoever hears and does, that's the solid foundation. Back up a little bit before then. In verse 15, Jesus begins, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Again, he uses a metaphor not of a house being built on a solid foundation, but of a tree bearing fruit. When I grew up, we had a whole bunch of apple trees in our yard, and we would every year go out and pick apples, and it was this big family ordeal. I always enjoyed it, but sometimes we'd pick apples that looked really good, and tasty until you looked a little closer or you bit into them and you found there was actually a worm inside of them. Do you know what's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm in your apple. (laughs) Jesus, he says, look, you will know if they're sheep or if they're ravenous wolves by the fruit that they produce. Beware of false prophets. See, even 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew there would be some who would rise up who would say really good and lovely things, things that really sound right, things that sound loving. But if these things don't produce good fruit, they're missing the point. See, today we have all kinds of pastors who will tell you all kinds of good things, God wants you to be happy. God wants your life to be great. God's going to bless you in every way you can think of. They'll say whatever we want them to say, except the truth. And the truth is that in order to bear fruit that is good, we have to be connected to the vine. We have to remain connected to the source of life, the one who gives us life, if we want our life to be good. And if we try to go about life without being connected to Jesus, we try to do it on our own, no matter what the fruit looks like, it's just filled with worms and it's empty. Jesus says, how will you know about these false prophets? Because the fruit they produce is diseased and bad. Back up a little bit further. Jesus, this is how he begins his conclusion. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
For this is the law and the prophets. For this is the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament, the prophets promising here is what our coming king will be like. Here's what our Messiah who will save us from all of this brokenness will do. Here's the one we're looking for. He said all of those promises, all of the law, the commands of God, this is how you should live. This is what I expect of my people. This is the kind of culture I'm creating. All of that, he says, is summed up in this. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is really important as we back up further into Jesus' sermon. See, sometimes as Christians, we want to just throw away all of the Old Testament and say that's not that important. But none of the New Testament matters. None of it if the Old Testament doesn't matter. See, all of that, the law and the prophets, points us to this law that we are to do unto others as we would like them to do unto us. And that sounds really nice, and if you watch enough kids' movies or Disney movies, we hear it said in all sorts of ways, but rarely do we stop to think about what we're asking. Do you want to be forgiven? Then forgive others, even those who don't deserve it. Do you want to find healing and reconciliation? Then be the one who brings healing and reconciliation, as opposed to waiting for somebody else to do it first. Do unto others what you want done unto you. Do you want to be connected with God? Maybe you should help others connect with him as opposed to pushing them away or telling them how they're not quite good enough just yet. And then he says this, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it or by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. In the book of Acts, which we spent the summer uh, reading a big portion of, the church and the Christians are described as people of the way. There is a truth in Scripture that when you came to follow Jesus, your life looked different. And it looked different not because you were perfect or because you did all the right things. It didn't look perfect because you attended all the right church functions. No, it looked different because you followed a new way of living that was different than your former one. If the things you used to do led to pain and brokenness and sorrow, maybe the way to find something different is to do something different. Our sin... And you and I are both guilty of it. Our sin always leads to death. But maybe there's a different way of life, way of waking up in the morning and going about our day, way of ending our evening, way of being around our coworkers and our neighbors and our family members, a way that is life-giving and fruitful. But Jesus, he warns that the way is really wide that leads to destruction. There's a whole lot of things you and I can choose to do, can spend our time with, can consume our energy on, that actually don't bring us any sort of life. 
all sorts of things. And the problem is, because it's such a wide path, it seems really good. Anybody ever been hiking before? Okay, like three of you? Wow, I'm surprised. All right, so if you've been hiking, sometimes when you're hiking, there are wide paths that are great. You can walk side by side. You don't have to worry about slipping and falling. Everything feels lovely, but other times, the way forward actually requires a very narrow path. And that narrow path is often more scary because you might slip and fall and there's a cliff here. Or maybe that narrow path, you gotta climb a few rocks and it's not as easy as the other one. Jesus describes this way of living with him. He says, look, the way that leads to destruction is really wide. It seems right, it seems good, it seems easy. But it's really hard to follow him. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged today. Jesus is not trying to tell anyone, you can't follow me. He's just pointing out the obvious, stating what is true that most people want to avoid. It is really natural and easy and tempting to go the way of ourselves and the way of the world and the way that other people want us to go It is so much more comforting in the short term to not go against the grain and be different. It feels right. But if we continue to go in the way of the world, it will always lead to destruction. Always. That's not because he's angry and wrath-filled. It's just true. And he says, look, the way of life that leads to life is really narrow and difficult. If you want your life to look different, if you're tired of the anxiety and the exhaustion and the stress, and you're tired of all of the burdens of, I just keep having relationships that fall apart and nothing ever seems to get any better. If you're tired of all of that, Jesus says, look, the way, it's hard to change. It won't happen overnight. It's not instantaneous. It's not a, a quick fix. It's a long and slow journey in a steady direction. And eventually you'll get there. And he invites every one of us into this way. This way of choosing the narrow path that is hard, but is worth it. This way of choosing to follow after him in such a way that it might cost us everything. In fact, in the sermon leading up to this, this is what Jesus says. We'll get to the beginning, but then after that, he begins to go into a really complicated series of challenges. He talks about all these things they've heard they should avoid, like lust. I think that's a good thing to avoid. And anger and divorce and a whole bunch of things that are problems. And he's like, hey, look, you've heard this, but let me tell you, it's actually like this. Jesus says, look, you've heard don't kill people. But I tell you, if you've been angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Wow, that way of life is really difficult. He says, don't swear oaths, just speak truth and let your truth be good enough. He says, when you're giving, don't give in such a way that people would praise you for your giving. Just give because it's the right thing to do and do it in secret. When you're praying, don't seek fancy words like everyone else. Just pray what is right to your Father. And he gives in this sermon this long list of ways to live. And then at the end of chapter 6, he tells you this. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he warns that when we're sent out, life will be hard. When we're sent into this world to live the way he's chosen, he says it will be difficult. So, backing up to the beginning, he begins his sermon with a series of people who are blessed. Perhaps you've heard them as the Beatitudes. Sometimes people say this series of, of who is blessed is the way in which we need to live, the attitude we should have. And it's, it includes things like blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And when you look at all of these things, he says, as attitudes we need to have. Tell you what, it's really exhausting because this way of life can't live by it. My heart's not always pure. I'm not always a peacemaker. I'm certainly not always merciful. Sometimes I get really hangry. I don't know about you, but that's a thing for me. But I think Jesus was not describing attitudes we need to have, but the kinds of people who are invited into this way of life. Those who mourn, I've been there. Those who are merciful, sometimes I'm there. Those who seek to make peace, I certainly hope to be there. I think Jesus is describing who is welcome into this place of walking with him. And ultimately, it's every one of us. We all fit in these categories. Blessed are you when others revile you. Surely we've been reviled. And then he continues with this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus describes all who are welcome to come and walk in this way. And then he says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is good for several things, among them being preservation. Salt preserves life that you can have it longer. It's good for this earth. But if you've ever cooked, you know that salt also enhances flavor. It brings beauty to something that otherwise was bland. It makes that which is normal really pop and stand out. Salt makes everything around it better. And this is how Jesus described those who follow him. Not you will be the salt of the earth, not if you work hard enough, this is who you'll be. He simply says, you are the salt of the earth. Be salty. Now, I don't mean be salty like angry and bitter, no, but be salty in that you are preserving life and making life better for others. How do you follow this way of Jesus? Well, consider the life you want to live. How do you give that to other people? You want to have a life that is filled with peace? How do you seek people out who are not peaceful and share a little peace with them? There's this weird thing in Scripture that the more we give, the more we actually get back. Not just financially and not specifically financially. If you want peace, give it to other people. 
If you want courage, be courageous for another person. It just kind of works that when you give this away, God pours it back into you that you have more of it to then give later. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Then he gives another analogy. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. When people look at you, do they see light? Does your life reflect something attractive and better than the life they have? I think most of the time, at least for myself, I get so caught up in just surviving this world, I forget that I'm called to shine in this world. And I get so caught up in just making it through until tomorrow that I forget there are other people who need light to see in the darkness. They are hurting and they are blind and they need someone who can show them a better way, a way that leads to life. Jesus says, look, you don't hide a lamp under a basket. What good would that be? No, you you set it on a stand for everyone to see. In the same way, let your good work shine so that all may give glory to your Father in heaven. When you and I begin to do the types of things Jesus did, and we begin to live out these good works, like healing those who are sick and bringing peace to those who are far off and welcoming those sinners that everybody else pushed away and loving those who are unlovable and feeding those who are hungry, when we begin to be merciful to those who need mercy, our light shines for all to see. Not that we can be glorified, but that God can. That they look at you and say, clearly you could not be doing this on your own. What are you doing? How do you do it? Teach me to be more like you. Let your light shine for all to see. See, with this in mind, we'll go back to the end. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a house built on a solid foundation. When you and I hear what Jesus has said and has invited us to do, We will have a solid foundation for whatever life brings. And here's the really good news in all of it. Whatever you will have others do, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. There's not a single thing Jesus will ask you to do that he hasn't first done for you. There's not a single thing that he hasn't first given up so that you can do it. And he simply invites us to receive what he's freely giving. To receive what he's poured out in a great abundance. And says, just let this overflow out of you that others can have it too. You see, the way of Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. And I mentioned that what would Jesus do doesn't always work because Jesus had no kids. So what Jesus would do will probably look different than a mom who's staying home with three kids who drive her nuts sometimes. I don't know which mom that could be. (laughs) What Jesus would do would look very different 
than somebody who's in their 40s and single and not sure why. What Jesus would, look, would do would look very different for you and me. I think the question to ask is not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus have you do? If Jesus were sitting right here with us, offering us this encouragement, showing us the way, living in every way for us, giving everything to us, what would he invite you to do with that? Who would he call you to love that you don't necessarily want to love? Or to pray for that you don't want to pray for? Or to offer mercy to when they really don't deserve it? Or to forgive because you have been forgiven? When you and I follow this way of Jesus, when we begin to do the types of things he does, the world takes note. Coming up next week, we're going to begin a series on one of the things you and I can begin doing to be more like Jesus. And that is really simple, eating and drinking. How many of you like to eat and drink from time to time? Okay, still not quite as many as I thought. All right, we'll work on that. Eating and drinking was something Jesus did all the time. And he did it with people he should not have been eating with. And he invited people who drank too much when they really shouldn't have. And he spent time with people in such a way that he not only won over a whole lot of people who otherwise were far off, but he made mad a whole lot of people who were high and righteous in their own accord. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about how you and I can begin to eat and drink in such a way that our light shines before the whole world. So if doing what Jesus would have you do sounds really scary, you're like, I just don't know where to start. Here's what I encourage you to do. Just for now, keep doing what you're doing. Next week, we'll talk about how you can eat and drink like you currently are in such a way that maybe that will begin to shine for others. And over the next several weeks, we're gonna invite you into a process of learning a new way of life. And it's not one you or I will master right away. But I believe wholeheartedly when we embrace this way of life of radically ordinary hospitality, we will see our light shine for God's glory. Will you pray with me today? God, we come before you. And we want to walk in the way that you've set before us. We thank you for the cross that you have only asked us to do what you yourself first did for us, to lay down our lives for those who don't deserve it, to love those who seem so unlovable. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we don't do that, for the ways that we seek our own agenda and our path and our desires and not yours. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we treat others only as we think they deserve, not as we want to be treated. God, I pray for each one of us that you'd teach us to walk in this way of being with you and becoming like you and ultimately doing the types of things you did so that your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and your love would pour into us and through us into this city and our world and that it would change each one of us. God, may we be salt of the earth, bringing flavor and preserving life wherever we go. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering.
Here in this place, we believe an offering is one way we can partner with Jesus and the things he's doing to say, God, even through my finances, I want to be a light to the world around me. So if you came prepared to give today and you prefer to give with cash or check, or if you filled out one of the physical connect cards in front of you, as you leave, you can place that in the popcorn bucket that will be in the back as you go. If you're somebody who prefers to give electronically and you came prepared to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now every week we invite you to text some questions and uh, I will do my best to respond to them. So what questions came in today, Emily? We only have two questions today. The first one is, if we are to be that light that shines, how in difficult times do we continue to power that light? It's a great question. Uh, I think we have to remain connected to the source, the light of the world who shines brightly for us. And so when we walk with Jesus first and foremost, when we commit our days to being with him, and in turn to being with his people, uh, whether that's in connect groups or just going out for dinner together or here on Sunday morning, when we do that, he shines in us that then he can shine through us. So if you're feeling burnt out and worn out and tired, there's actually a verse Jesus, he says, come to me all who are weary and worn out and tired and you'll find rest. So be with him and be recharged to go out into this world and shine brightly. Awesome. Uh, last question. I'm new to being Christian, and I was baptized, but just now started going to church. I'm shy about being a Christian. It feels weird talking about God. So how do I get more comfortable talking like a Christian? First and foremost, hey, welcome. <laughs> Congratulations. This journey with Jesus is a long one. You're in it for the long haul, and I promise tomorrow will look a little different than today. Maybe better, maybe worse. That's okay. Uh, so how do you get more comfortable with being a Christian and talking about Jesus? If you know the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, Paul was a guy named Saul, and he hated Christians, and he went around killing Christians. And then he met Jesus, totally changed, and the really cool thing is Saul did not just jump straight into preaching. He actually took several years with other Christians to like learn all the things he thought he knew and like, okay, how, how does Jesus fit with all that I thought I knew and how does he not? And so while he did start preaching pretty quickly, he also spent a lot of time just like sitting back and learning. So if you are a new Christian, uh, I would say the best thing you can do is to find two or three Christians who you're like, that person's really cool and I want to be more like them. Right? Like they seem to really love Jesus and their life seems to all be figured out. I promise you it's not. Right? So don't, <laughs> don't feel pressure. Uh, but just like find somebody. You want a good example? There's, there's one right over here. She's great. Um, find somebody oh, who oh, looks like... Nice. Hey, I thought welcome. you were just being hypothetical. No, no, no. Yeah. Go have coffee with Emily. She really likes coffee. <laughs> I do. All right? um, but find somebody who looks more like Jesus than you do and just begin to be with them and learn from them. Uh, I promise you'll meet Jesus along the way in more profound ways and be excited and grow in faith. Another thing you can do is uh, join a connect group where you get to have a whole group of people to be with. You can just commit yourself to regularly being in church, which can be really scary because you're like, what am, what am I walking into? Um, with me, you never really know, and I'm sorry about that. Um, 
But by committing yourself to a community of people, you get to be immersed in God's word and sing his praises and hear more of what he's inviting you into on this journey. Now, we're, sometimes we get questions that come in last minute. Was that it? I think that's it. Yeah. You guys are great. This is two weeks in a row of easy ones. I love it. I hope you're just storing up all your hard ones for another day. But uh, as always, you can always ask questions. What's the question over here? Yeah, a great place to start when you're reading scripture. The Old Testament is super valuable, but sometimes because it's so foreign to our world today, it's really confusing. So a great place to start if you're a new Christian just beginning to read the Bible, uh, start in the Gospels. The Gospel literally means good news, and it's the story of Jesus' life and the works that he did. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, they can be a great place to start in your reading to begin to see who he is and what he says. All right, if that's it. That's it. Were there any announcements I was supposed to make, or is that it? Uh, cool. I hope not. Cool. <laughs> we meet every week, and she tells me what I'm supposed to say for announcements, and then usually I, I was forget, supposed so. to announce the thing that you announced about kids playing in the mother's room. So, so far, good. my brain's not here, and you're killing it. We make a good team. <laughs> well, then, as you go this week, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.